0: Welcome to the holiday season. My name is Sam Clements, and this is your one-stop shop for all things related to writer and director Nancy Myers’s 2006 Christmas rom-com, The Holiday. The film was described as undeniably charming by the Associated Press, and cinematic maple syrup by Slant Magazine. Thank you for joining us for episode three. There are already two full episodes of The Holiday Season online. Do check them out if you haven't already. It goes without saying, but there will be spoilers for The Holiday in this podcast. Please do pause the show if you've not seen the movie before, go and watch The Holiday, you will have a fabulous time, and we'll be waiting for you when you come back. For this episode, I wanted to focus on something that one of our previous guests, script editor Becky Brinoff, mentioned on our show about the screenplay for The Holiday, the quote-unquote reality of a fictional movie narrative. So join me on this brief tangent, and we'll look at this idea in more detail. This is pretty broad-stroke stuff, but most films rely on a suspension of disbelief to take the audience with them as the story unfolds. I think one of the things about Christmas films is that they come around every 12 months and are subjected to more repeat watches than other genres. The more the audience is familiar with the story, the more one's mind wanders and starts to pick up on additional elements on screen. As someone who's watched The Holiday intensely over the past few years, I've certainly built up a mental list of things that drag me out of the narrative whilst watching it. Like, why don't we actually see Christmas Day being celebrated in this modern festive classic? When I spoke to Becky, she broke down how she gives notes to writers, and I was fascinated to discuss the reality of The Holiday with her.
1: When I analyse scripts, I do have a set series of, of things, like components that I break the script down to. But in recent years, I have added a new segment called Logic. So that's when... And it crops up a lot in like horror or action movies when I'm feeding back on those. Because uh, sometimes you just need to go back to the writer and be like, just, just double check that this makes sense. And I've got some logic questions. <laughs> Which is probably stuff that came up when I very first watched the film. So timeline massive debate online about when exactly the story takes place and lots of people think that the Telegraph Christmas party would somehow have happened on the Friday before Christmas which in 2006 would have been the 22nd of December but as you and I have discussed beforehand like that you very clearly see it on Iris's Blackberry on the plane it's December the 18th when she gets the flight to LA which um, there wasn't a Friday December the 18th in 2006 so it throws the whole timeline into disarray but anyway other other things that don't that you know logic wise uh, there's an advert on the BBC that comes Cuts in mid Little Britain's <laughs> Yeah, Little
0: Britain as well. Really, um, like placing the film in a time and a place. So it can't be because like we, when we were talking about the dates, mm. uh, we said there was a, there was the right Friday on on the in two thousand 2002 and two, two thousand
1: and two and two thousand
0: and thirteen. So, but Little Britain wouldn't have been on no. in two thousand two because it wouldn't have existed. So maybe it it it's in
1: the future and it's uh. a rerun.
0: Maybe. Uh, um
1: what other things are going on? Uh oh yeah, there's a great bit of dialogue that Jude Law has where he says that he says that his contact so after he's had sex with um Amanda, he says that his contacts came off in the night somehow. And he like really leans into that somehow. And so I had to wonder like, has anyone ever had sex so hard that their contact lenses have come out? Um, there's other things like so Jasper over the phone says have you put the little red bikini on yet the one that ties in the back don't most of them tie (laughs) in the back does I why does Iris not offer to switch seats on the plane Mm Um, why is Dustin Hoffman in Blockbuster on Christmas Eve um, and why is Amanda cutting a trailer for a film called Christmas Day on December the 17th <laughs> there's a lot of like logic questions that I'm sure Nancy would be like ignore it, ignore it. look at your back it's fine
0: <laughs> the joy of this film is it's a lot of it is shot in the UK and takes place in the UK but not everything that takes place in the UK was actually shot in the UK and I think oh. that's where some of the logic stuff comes up so yes. the interior of the cottage mm-hmm. was shot on a soundstage uh, in, in Culver City in LA uh, on the Sony studios a lot so there's little things like when you watch a film too many times you really start picking up on some minor (laughs) details so (laughs) now whenever I see Iris's kitchen in the cottage which is where Amanda is Mm -hmm. I'm always like why is there no kettle
1: Kettle, she yeah. has
0: a she a has hop, one that she puts on the hob, oh, but doesn't have electric kettle. Any British person who is interested in hot beverages yes. would also have an emergency, not for best kind of electric <laughs> kettle that you would put on just in case, just in case. Yeah. Um, so that's that's something which I think had they shot it here, yeah. somebody on the set would have gone, mm. "Oh yeah, no, we'll just put electric kettle in it."
1: There's also kind of Americanisms in the dialogue as well. So, um, like Iris says, Valium uh graham says take a leak Mm. things like that we're just like do we have those things
0: previous podcast dr deborah german also noted that the blockbuster dvd rental scene follows the media room scene a set filled wall to wall with dvds why would kate winslet's iris need to rent a movie when cameron diaz's amanda has left hundreds of dvds in her house already well maybe she didn't have what she wanted but it's certainly a fun question to ask Also fun, regarding that media room scene, Empire Magazine's Nick Dissemblin posted on Twitter over Christmas 2019 that Kate Winslet's Iris actually flicks past a copy of Michael Apted's 2001 movie, Enigma, also starring Kate Winslet. Was this a little easter egg from the production team? Is Nancy Myers a fan of romantic wartime yarns? Or is Iris, as a telegraph journalist, just one of many possible timelines that she could have taken? And is this a metaphysical hint At her alternate realities. We'll never know. One of the many things I adore about The Holiday is the very specific jobs of the protagonists. A journalist at a British newspaper, a movie trailer editor, a book editor, an award-winning Hollywood screenwriter, who, in the fictional universe of The Holiday, added the word kid to here's looking at you kid in Casablanca, and a film composer! As a writer, Nancy Myers always takes her lead character's jobs very seriously, showing their professional lives to audiences in most of her films, even writing not one, or two, but three workplace movies in Baby Boom, What Women Want, and The Intern. Nancy Myers would eventually bring some of her own workplace experiences into her writing, before becoming a full-time filmmaker she ran a successful bakery, the Pacific Cheesecake Company, to support herself as a struggling writer. Baking at home in her small apartment, using an old family recipe, she sold cheesecakes to top LA restaurants Ma Maison and Mr. Chow. Myers shared this story with The Hollywood Reporter in 2015, and she ended the interview by saying, Meryl Streep owned a bakery and it's complicated. I kind of imagined her starting much like I did. I love the rich detail and the enthusiasm that Nancy Myers brings to her character's jobs. I did wonder, however, what people who actually do the jobs for real think about seeing their profession on screen in The Holiday. Kate Winslet's character, Iris Simpkins, is a society columnist for British newspaper The Telegraph, and Cameron Diaz's character, Amanda Woods, runs a trailer editing business from her LA mansion. In the film, we see her working on a fictional action movie called Deception, starring Lindsay Lohan and James Franco. I reached out to a real-life Telegraph journalist and a couple of actual trailer editors to ask about the reality of their professions as depicted in The Holiday.
2: My name is Robbie Collin, and I'm the film critic at The Telegraph newspaper.
0: From what you've heard from your colleagues, has this film got like a legendary status within The Telegraph?
2: (laughs) I've never spoken about The Holiday with any Telegraph colleagues. (laughs) With the exception of Tim Robey, my my critic, so I know I know he's well aware of the film and has seen it many times as have I. Didn't come up in my interview, you know, um, <laughs> it, it, it's not held in that kind of that kind of esteem. But maybe I'll ask next time I'm, I'm 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 in. Do you remember when you first watched The Holiday? I don't remember when <laughs> I first watched The Holiday. It has kind of always felt like it's been there, even though it only it came out what thirteen years ago. It just feels like this kind of exemplary, sort of platonic example of the splurgy rom com. And I don't, I'm not sure that whether I even saw it in the cinema or not for that reason. It's just always been particularly Christmas when it's on television. Um, mm-hmm. Before the age of streaming, it just seemed to pop up a lot. And it's the kind of film that you can put on an hour in and have missed nothing mm-hmm. or abandon an hour in. And missed nothing. <laughs> it's just kind of, I mean, in the best possible sense, it's that kind of wallpapery cinema where you can just kind of sit down and, you know, sigh and just gaze at it for a while and then wander off and do something else. Uh, so no, I I I don't remember when I first saw it. I remember when I last saw it because it was yesterday and was stunned at how much I remembered. And I think that's the interesting thing about Nancy Myers' films is that often when you approach a rom-com... It feels, not that they even really make many rom-coms nowadays, but when you approach a rom-com in, in, in those days, it always felt like very kind of the corners were sanded off. This was, you know, studio-sanctioned, you know, produced to within an inch of its life, uh, bland corporate product designed to appeal to the biggest possible audience. And I think Nancy Myers, she's obviously working in that vein. She wants to appeal to a mass audience. But you really start to notice that she has these very sort of Authorish concerns and, uh, and, and and finicky obsessions, every bit as much as you know someone uh, like weird. I mean, a different kind of film complete, but Christopher Nolan. You know, you see these themes resurfacing again and again. You see ways of shooting people resurfacing again and again. You see these visual obsessions and you see these sort of societal obsessions. Nancy Myers may, in fact, be this is just coming to me now. She may, in fact, be the Christopher Nolan of the romantic comedy, or maybe Christopher Nolan is the Nancy Myers of the of the blockbuster. Who knows?
0: I'd love to hear an interview with Chris Nolan when he cites Myers as an example. Never, (laughs) please. If
2: Christopher Nolan listens to this podcast, uh, just forget I said that.
0: What did you make of the scenes in the UK? I mean, I think some of it
2: rings more true than than, than other parts. The telegraph scenes, obviously, to to me being a telegraph journalist, were interesting. On the plus side, Kate Winslet is a very convincing telegraph journalist. Iris Simkins is a very telegraphy byline. I can imagine that appearing in the paper no trouble. She sort of looks and comports herself like telegraph journalists often do. The fact that she's shopping for first editions of books in Covent Garden, <laughs> you know, definitely no telegraph journalists that do that. Um, but on on on, on the uh, on the minus side, uh, the paper is not made in like the feasting hall of a grand European castle or whatever that set's supposed to be. I have no idea what that is. Just not a newspaper office, even in the mid two thousands uh, when this was shot. I'm pretty certain that's not what the Telegraph office looked like. Um, And also, we don't really in the UK have wedding columnists. It's not a thing that happens in UK journalism. I mean, sure we have, you know, court announcements and marriage announcements. You can check the paper every day and there's people have got these little, you know, delightful, compact mentions about, you know, weddings and births and uh, whatnot that are happening up and down the country, but you don't have someone who will just turn up a rich person's wedding and write a fawning profile that's very peculiarly American. It's something, I mean, clearly to a romantic comedy writer, it's, it's, it feels like very fertile soil because you have someone who is writing about other people's romances all the time, but is in a job that doesn't necessarily lend itself to settling down. So you've got that nice tension from, from the very start. But it's not British at all. And that always struck a, a, a bum note, I would say, for, for me. This, Yeah, this idea that the Winslet's kind of writing doesn't feel like British journalism.
0: It's just surreal, really, that the the film actually features a real newspaper. But in, in research, it's Nancy's favourite paper that she likes to read when she comes to London. Well, that's lovely to hear. But uh, as someone who works for the paper, when, when the scene came on, does it sort of take you out of the film's drama?
2: I think there's that same kind of thrill of seeing... And the thing is, because this is something that
0: happens to journalists all the
2: time, journalists get incredibly fussy and obsessive about how our job is represented in other media because it can be very heavily romanticised and it can also be uh, very easily impugned as well. You can portray journalists to be complete scumbags and you can portray journalists to be these impossibly glamorous people who, you know, flit around and and write 300 words a week and, you know, are on airplanes and drinking champagne all the time at these snazzy receptions. And neither of these things uh, is, is, is completely true. Of course, there's elements of truth in both. But when you see any journalist, uh, let alone someone who who works for the title that you work for, uh, appearing on screen is always this, you know, what are they going to get right? And even more importantly, what are they going to get wrong?
0: I was wondering about the Christmas party scene. Is is that anything like a Telegraph Christmas party? I would say that the the, the Telegraph Christmas parties
2: that I go to tend to be the ones for the Arts Desk individually. So they will hold those at a uh, delightful old pub in Pimlico, where we will go and get some nibbles and some drinks. And uh, it's, it, there's nothing kind of... This, this idea of parties in the office, they may well have them. I may not be invited to them. <laughs> but the ones that I've been to, are certainly the, 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 they're not on the office floor with everyone milling around the desks with, you know tinsel round their necks and party hats on and, you know, big big triumphant speeches from the editor.
0: Have you ever been filing an article during a Christmas party? I
2: filed articles instead of going to Christmas parties. <laughs> this is when we're talking about the, uh, the, the the this kind of romantic idea. I remember when I was first wanted to be a, a, a journalist, got this idea that journalism was something I wanted to get into. The, the Guardian used to, and may in fact still do, host these student journalism symposiums where their, you know, big name writers would come out and talk to us about... How the job worked, and I remember Jonathan Friedland gave this really great talk about writing op ed pieces, and he described one night recently where he'd i think he'd filed his his initial uh, his initial take, and then he 'd gone to the theater and then come out in the interval and got subs queries through on the email, so he'd responded to the subs queries in the interval and then, you know, pinged them off by email and then went back and watched the second half of the play. I can't remember the point he was making. It was probably something to do with how the job can spill out and, you know, fill fill various holes that are available in your life. But I remember thinking, that, imagine being able to, you know, to to work like that for it to, for this, to be this kind of wonderful sort of, I suppose, quite glamorous uh, integration of your social life and your, your professional life. Um, what happens nowadays, you know, because the media is a very different place to when it was when I was a student, is that instead of going to the Christmas party, you will go and see the new Star Wars film at 6pm. The the Star Wars film will finish by the time they've got through the trailers and everything. It'll probably be about 9pm. And you'll have to have your completed review sitting in the sub's inbox by 10pm. So that doesn't necessarily leave a lot of time to also pack in a Christmas party. Not that I'm bitter about that. It's lovely to be writing about Star Wars films for money, but you know.
0: But you know, still getting to the Christmas party at eleven o'clock on a Friday night is not ideal. Well, I mean, the way you know, again,
2: journalism changed a lot in the way the way the, the business works now. Everyone will be at home in bed by then.
0: In the scene in the Telegraph in the holiday, there's a big Christmas party. There's lots of extras around Kate Winslet and Sarah Parrish's uh, character. Nancy Myers on the commentary specifically says they had to cast English-looking extras. Even though they're, they're all people who live in Los Angeles. Did they look English to you? Did, it, did they look like people who could work at the Telegraph? They don't look English.
2: Um, they, they look like Los Angeles extras to me. Uh, and I don't know what it is because I watched that spe- specifically with that casting instruction in mind. And they, they don't ring true. And it's not a question of what is it a question of? It's not a question of attractiveness. It's not a question of racial or like age generational makeup. Uh, it's something about the way they carry themselves. They don't look like they've been working hard all day. And, you know, that's that's maybe just how, you know, I don't want to criticise these extras unduly, but they look like they've just walked out of a craft services tent, having had a delicious lunch uh, and a nice hot coffee, and have been asked to kind of mill around and pretend they're slightly tipsy. The nature of newspaper offices is that people tend to, to, to work very hard and work very fast in them as well because, you know, things have to change at the last minute. You have to write very, very quickly uh, and you have to be very reactive. So this kind of sense that there's a Los Angelino glow about them that is not plausible. And, you know, it's not on the big list of things that Hollywood gets wrong about journalists. Uh, This is very, very, very low down the list, but it's, it's, it's not quite right. And actually, that's why Kate Winslet's one of the reasons that Kate Winslet's character strikes out is because she would fit in perfectly. I have to say the clutter on Iris's desk is very plausible because, I mean, maybe not so much nowadays, when so many resources are online. When I got into journalism in the early 2000s, that was par for the course. And Now, of course, all that stuff's moved online. But this idea that desks can get piled up with paperwork and, and, and books, and it's this kind of mini reference library, that certainly checks out.
0: If you were reviewing this film today, would it be a very Iris Simpkins-heavy review and you'd just sort of sack off the uh, the Miles and well, Amanda characters? Would be, it would be an Iris
2: Simpkins-heavy <laughs> review, but that's because I think Iris Simpkins is by far and away the most interesting character in the film. So I think, you know, she's got easily the most interesting arc. Uh, weirdly that she's, she's paired up with a character with the least interesting arc in, in, in the end. But yeah, of course, goodness, what Kate Winslet's doing in this film is, is, is and, and actually Jude Law, to an extent, I find is, is by far and away the most interesting part of what the, the film at large is doing.
0: Nancy Myers specifically features real-life British newspaper The Telegraph because she's a big fan of The Paper, It's her go-to read when she's in London, and in addition to travelling for promotional work and leisure, Nancy Myers has partly shot two movies in the UK now, The Holiday, and her first film as director, The Parent Trap. When talking to Will Lawrence at The Telegraph on promotional duties for The Holiday, Myers said, I like The Telegraph so much I gave it a starring role in my movie. It's true, I read it whenever I go to the UK. I came up with The Telegraph because it was important that Iris worked for a really important and well-respected paper, so the Telegraph just seemed like the right solution. Whilst Iris is busy working at the Telegraph, Cameron Diaz's Amanda is finishing a big movie trailer just before breaking for the Christmas holidays. I spoke to Lucy Bond and Rosie Lakin from Intermission Film, an award-winning creative agency, who make trailers, amongst many other things, for some of the world's biggest film and television releases. Lucy and Rosie have cut many trailers in their time, and I started our conversation by asking if the holiday inspired their career choice. First up, Lucy.
3: Not quite, but I do remember when I came into this industry first and people like trying to describe your job and someone said, Oh, it's like Cameron Diaz in the holiday. I'm like, Okay, well I can take that. I yeah, could be yeah. I could be
4: Cameron Diaz in the holiday. Yeah, it's definitely I think when I told someone, Oh, I, I'm got a new job and I'm gonna be a trailer editor, a lot of people said, Oh, like Cameron Diaz. So I'm very grateful to yeah. the holiday because it helps paint a picture of what we do.
0: And you don't often see trailer editors represented in cinema.
3: No, I don't. I think it's a bit niche. Very niche, yeah. You, I suppose you see trailers like there's a lot of yeah. parody trailers around, very good, but like Tropic Thunder, yeah, very actual, good ones, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the actual process of making yeah. it, the very only, niche.
4: I can think of um, In Hail Caesar. Mm-hmm. There's a scene with Frances McDormand, and she's a an actual uh, film feature editor, and she's like chain smoking, and she gets her like. <laughs> scarf stuck in this steenbeck and it's just a really bizarre scene. But that's the only editor I can think of that's been depicted in a film. She looks like she works hard.
3: I wouldn't say her lifestyle in The Holiday is exactly the lifestyle of of all (laughs) trailer agencies. But uh, it's it's definitely a glamorised version. It's a a glamorised version, yeah.
0: The setup in Cameron Diaz's edit suite, does it look reasonably accurate?
4: Well, she's got a lot of screens and... Yeah, I I I had a uh, look at the timeline and it looked kind of convincing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think it it did
3: look pretty accurate. Yeah. But just from the small minor detail that it's like in the west wing of her house, probably.
0: (laughs) Because you deal with lots of big American clients, you don't deal with anyone who's cutting trailers in like, you know, the wing of their
3: home we're not quite there yet uh i'd say that's that's never been a request so far but who knows who knows in the future um no we're still in intermission hq for the moment but also
4: like it 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 looks like she's working on a fairly big budget film and the level of security around working on a project like that you wouldn't be able to work from home it's
0: a big christmas action movie by the looks of things huge budget huge cast you wouldn't just get that uh, sent to your home.
3: Definitely no. not. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, no watermarks at all. Um, yeah, um, I, I think yeah, that the, would be a... the visual
4: effects look like they've
3: been done finish. as well.
4: I know, yeah. I know. Um, often working a green screen.
0: I was trying to work out what point the trailer is in in its life because we actually see the trailer broadcast a few days later in the story of the film. Do you often get jobs like that? So a big trailer about to drop over Christmas, are you editing it, you know, the day before you go on holiday?
4: (laughs) I mean, if we work on a film that's being released around Christmas,
3: it'd probably be be working on it in September or something. Exactly. I think we'd all be, uh, everyone would be a little bit nervous if it came to that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) TV spots take... A little bit of time also, just the process to get it on, on air, um, which does make me wonder who is was doing that in, in her company, if she's off in the UK. But uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a longer lead time uh, in, in real life.
0: In the film, we're following Cameron Diaz, but when we go into the trailer office, we see John Krasinski is actually doing some cutting. What has John Krasinski actually been doing before we joined a scene? And what do you think he does after Cameron Diaz leaves?
3: what a question what a question <laughs> maybe he's got his own little cupboard sleeping area oh, he's, say he's woken up yeah yeah I, I I imagine he might not necessarily live in her neighborhood <laughs> maybe he's got a bit of a drive in LA traffic which doesn't actually ever pop up in the holiday <laughs> Yeah, um, everyone just drives around effortlessly which I wouldn't say is entirely accurate but um, yeah who knows maybe she just keeps him in a cupboard and Kind of wheels him out exactly when when needed.
0: When Cameron Diaz finally signs the trailer off, he must have to export it and send it to someone.
3: The client doesn't get a voice. The distributor, what do they think? <laughs>
0: Do you still enjoy the narrative of the film, or are you just thinking, "Nope, that wouldn't happen. This isn't right."
4: No, I think I was like, I I'm excited to see it. It's like this. Yeah, this is what we do. Absolutely, <laughs> as
3: you, like yeah, it's very rare that people are represented uh, in the trailer industry. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that it is an industry um, yeah, in its own people... right. So I think it opened a lot of people's eyes. <laughs> yeah,
4: definitely. Because <laughs> um, I think most people assume that uh, the trailers are cut by the the like feature film editor or director. Um, they don't realise there's this whole industry.
0: Can we call Nancy Myers a champion for trailer editors?
3: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Personally, I'd love to have my profession depicted in a Nancy Myers film. Fingers crossed for a romantic comedy about a podcast host in the not-too-distant future. I really love the detail that Myers writes into her protagonists, and their jobs are such an extension of their character. Part of the holiday is even presented like a movie trailer, to reflect Amanda's workaholic state of mind. Whilst the movies are lavish productions, Myers is a very personal filmmaker, often adding elements from her own life into her films, as well as her own beliefs. Women's representation at the workplace is clearly something that's close to her heart. When Myers was working on Private Benjamin, at 29 years old, she was told that she wasn't allowed on the set without one of her male co-producers present. She also hid her pregnancy whilst making the film. Speaking to The Guardian in 2015, Myers said, There aren't enough movies that show working women who are content with their job, good at their job, and good bosses. If I see one more movie where there is a woman who is a horrible boss who is hated by her employees... The journalist noted that she said this with an eye roll. There are 40 years of Nancy Myers screenplays which prove that Myers practices what she preaches. From Private Benjamin to The Intern, this is a constant. We see this demonstrated in The Holiday as well. Professionally, the characters are pretty winning figures across the board, but their personal lives are where the dramatic conflict lies. And that's what we're engaged with as an audience. I think it's important that we discuss the culture we consume, and I think the reality check conversation is a fun subtopic The holiday certainly attracts a lot of commentary on social media when it screens on television over Christmas, and I think that's part of the secret to its longevity. Why does Little Britain have a commercial break-in? Well, does it really matter? It's Christmas, after all. And if you must know what year the holiday is set, there are multiple years with a Wednesday the 18th of December, but only one in recent memory, which also saw Hanukkah fall on the dates that Iris was in LA. And we see Iris host our Hanukkah party for her neighbour whilst on vacation. There is room for some error here, as Iris could have hosted an early or late Hanukkah dinner, but in 2019, every day of Iris' trip would have been during Hanukkah. So I propose that 2019, the year that we launched this podcast, is also the year that the film is set. Thank you for coming to work with me today. On the next episode, I make a pilgrimage to one of the UK locations used in the holiday. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. And please tell your friends. Word of mouth is such a great way to spread the holiday love. The Holiday Season is written and produced by me, Sam Clements, and edited and produced by Louise Owen. The sound was mixed by Ben Williams at Rockwood Audio. You had contributions from freelance script editor Becky Brinoff, chief film critic for The Telegraph, Robbie Collin, as well as Rosie Lakin and Lucy Bond from creative agency intermission film our music is by martin ostwick and our artwork is by ollie gibbs you can find us online at 90minfilmfest.com slash the holiday season that's 90minfilmfest.com slash the holiday season you can follow me on twitter at sam underscore clements and the holiday is on netflix and multiple streaming sites thank you for listening see you next time It's the one, the intern. Yeah, the intern, was a, uh, like which 2015? I never actually saw.
2: And I've meant to catch up with it because I remember the critical reaction on it was very divided. People got very exercised about whether Robert De Niro was actually doing something very touching and affectionate and delightful in sending himself up or whether he was just doing one of these cash-in-style dirty grandpa Dirty grandpa, it's dirty grand. grandpa, dirty grandpa. Doesn't sound right when you say it out loud. Whether it was a dirty grandpa or it was a dirty grandpa, sounds like a really perverse thing. Anyway, it wasn't. It, the, the, the question was whether. Sorry, the question was, the question was whether or not De Niro had done a dirty grandpa. The question, sorry. The question was, the question was with the intern was whether or not De Niro had done a dirty. Sorry, this is so silly. I'm going to have to just not see it. (laughs)